Amen. We are in 1 John chapter 5. All of the previous chapters can be seen and or rather heard. Yes, seen and heard. Heard on the sermon player. But go with uh, me, my dear friend, to the webcast. Let's put it up here for him real quick. And uh, I'm going to put a link to make it easier. But you can now watch the videos of every sermon. Okay? So let's say you like the audios. But you like the videos. Yes, there they are. Dude, you would be surprised how many people talk about that picture right there on our window. People have talked to me. I'm serious. You're like, you're the pastor holding your wife? That is so cute. So then I was thinking to myself, hey, if one worked, why not line all of the windows of my wife and I hugging you? So it's like one picture of us hugging Dahlia and Smile and the next picture of us hugging Juan and just line the whole thing like we love people. Amen. It would be worth a try. Okay, so here's, here's this going on. There's that good-looking guy. Okay, so scroll down a little bit, my friend. Scroll down. Now, where you, you see where it says uh, Metro Praise. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Menu. Go right there, Menu. Okay, that is Viewers. Now go to the right, Menu. There you go. Click on it. Can okay, I go up just a little bit? Okay, when you come to the page, you can just hit Menu. Now go to, go to Show Page, please. Yeah, a little bit down. There we go. Thank you. Now, when you come here, this is like the MySpace type thing where it's actually a page. You can leave comments. But it's very simple to go to. Now, go down. It also runs simultaneous here. They put the little advertising. It's like a little MySpace page. But my point is, you see right down here in the bottom corner, there are the video clips. So you can simply just watch a video clip. Okay? Amen. A little hand clap for that. (laughs) I'm sorry. Thank you, Andrew. You did wonderful. So I said all that just in case you just don't like to hear the voice of the message, you can hear the video. And by the way, the youth group and crossover will be doing the same thing. So once again, you can have all of the ministries, all of the time, 24-7, F-R-E-E, free. Told you it was a weird, it's going to be a weird day, but it's going to be fun, okay? So just hang on for the ride. Um, going back to 1 John chapter 5. All of the chapters are there. Everything is there for you to get into. Everything is there for you to listen to. Today's title of today's message is I Believe. That is the title of today's message. I Believe. We learn that John was the beloved disciple of Jesus. He was one of the twelve, and even closer to Jesus, he was one of the three. It was John and two other people. Somebody shout out the other two. Peter and James. And James was John's brother. There you guys go. We learn that John wrote the Gospel of John, the narrative story of Jesus. He wrote what are called epistles, teaching letters. First John, second John, third John. He also wrote the only book in the Bible that is a prophetic book, which is the uh, the New Testament, which is the book of Revelation. The Revelation is of Jesus Christ and his soon coming. So you see that John was given one of the greatest honors. Number one, he was given the honor of being close to Jesus more than all of the other disciples. Number two, he was given the honor to write the second most amount of books in the Bible besides Paul. Number three, he was given the honor to live longer than any other disciple. He lived probably to about 90 AD because he was the youngest disciple that got picked, so he lived the longest without being martyred. And number four, he was the only one to see how everything got wrapped up in heaven, and he got to talk about what was coming to earth in the book of Revelation, so he understood what was going on. Now, some might believe that Paul got that same revelation when he went to the third heaven, but he writes in Second Corinthians, I can't even talk about it. If you all remember that? Now think about that. If John could talk about revelation, but Paul went up there and couldn't talk about what he saw, I wonder what he saw. 
I mean, you got John talking about four-headed beasts and this and that and this and that. And then Paul goes up there, and then Jesus says, no, this is too crazy. You can't even tell them all this. I mean, I'm serious. Paul's told you can't even tell them that they won't even understand because we're still just trying to understand Revelation. So John was an awesome man of God from his early young age of being one of Jesus' disciples all the way to the end of his life. Now, this epistle right here, this teaching letter, is to follow up with his gospel. So let's say you had heard John. John's telling you, hey, read, read my book here, man. I met Jesus. This guy was awesome. He rose from the dead. He did all these awesome things. He, uh, you know, he died on the cross, rose from the dead. He's coming back again. And so you're following Jesus. But then you're like, well, how do I live for Jesus now? What do exactly do I do? You know, this gospel's pretty big. How do I follow the teachings of Jesus? Well, John writes this letter to the people now, and he's like, okay, now you got the story. Now you know who Jesus is. Now you know what the whole deal is here. But this is how you live for him. This is what you do. And in review, if you look at chapter 1, you learn that you have to walk in the light. That he's saying there's darkness and there's light. You walk in the light. Amen? So the way he contrasts everything from this point on is good, evil, light, darkness. That's how you know you're going to follow God. And what does he give us the direct idea of that? He says, if you follow his commands. Look at verse 7, chapter 1, verse 7, as we review, because we're closing the series out today. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of, his, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. There it is. I'm supposed to walk in the light. Now it says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Moving into chapter 2, he begins to tell us not to love the world. And he warns us of Antichrist. But what's still the point? Serving God, keeping God's commands. One of the greatest verses of chapter 2 is found in, um, in, in chapter 2 right at the beginning. Verse 7, he says, dear friends, or, or excuse me, rather, uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 3, he says, We know that we have come to know him if we what? Obey his commands. So there it is. Let's say you're just, you just got the gospel of John. You don't know anything else but that this man Jesus lived and died for you, and now you need to live for him because you're going to be judged. You don't know anything else. Now John sends you this letter. It's pretty simple now, isn't it? What I do is I follow commands. Okay. It doesn't say... I mean, come on, all of the things we see in Christendom now. It doesn't say any of that. You know, uh, go to big churches, have big choirs, celebrate Christmas and Easter. If you just read the Gospel of John, you would not hear any of that. I mean, nothing wrong with plays, nothing wrong with, you know, fish dinners or spaghetti dinners, nothing wrong with, uh, you know, child daycares and churches and all these wonderful things we will do as we get bigger, some of those things. But those things have become what defines churches in America. Like, oh, my church has a daycare for my child, or this church has a great choir, or they have great plays at Easter. You, you guys get what I'm saying. Or, you know, this church has a good school. I send, you know, to the private school. No, the commands, as you're about ready to learn, are just really simple. You know, love God, love your neighbor, don't murder, don't steal, uh, pray for others, you know, help others, preach the gospel. These are all his commands. Somebody say God's commands. Now you go on to chapter 3. 
and he keeps reiterating this, but he does it now in the sense that God loves us as a father. So we begin to learn that keeping God's commands is not because, like, we are the slaves of God, though he could make us his slaves, but we are his children, and he is our father. We should look to him as a father. Then we looked at chapter 4 last week, and we realized that there are false prophets, people who say they know God but really don't know God. Are you with me? And these people we need to be careful for. We need to be careful for the people that are outlandish like the Jesus from Puerto Rico that crazy nut we need to watch out for him but then we also need to watch out for the subtle lies like we see on dr phil and oprah winfrey and the shows that look so cute and cuddly and a lot of televangelism that seems like it's good it's shiny it's big it must be working it must be right we got to be careful with their messages amen now we're in chapter five he is going to sum up the whole thing and now you have his complete message the other Two letters, 2 John and 3 John, were written personally to people, and Revelation deals with a whole other topic. So if you were a disciple of John, you had everything you would need now to live for Christ. You have the life story and teachings of Jesus right here, and now you know how to apply them and live for them. Amen? All right, chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Everybody say, I believe. That's what it all comes down to. He says, after all of this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God, to go to church on Sunday and give your tithes. This is love for God, to have a Christian bumper sticker and a Bible on your coffee table with dust. Is that what it says? This is love for God, to go to church on Christmas and Easter. Oh, come on. This is love for God, to obey his commands can we read it like we're up this morning one more time this is love for god to his commands thank you congregation and his commands are not burdensome praise god they're not hard they're not difficult they're not something to weigh you down praise god they're good commands life to the soul the bible says in another place for everyone born of god overcomes the world this is the victory that has overcome the world even our faith who is it that overcomes the world only he who believes that jesus is the son of god i'll ask you the question that john asked and you answer with the only he who believes that jesus is the son of god answer amen so congregation who is it that overcomes the world one more time come on give it to me who is it that overcomes the world congregation do you believe Come on, do you believe? Live like you believe. Talk like you believe. Walk like you believe. Get others to believe. That's what it's all about. And we're not talking about just acknowledging a Jesus that you make up and think he was. No, it's acknowledging the Jesus for everything he was. It's not the Jesus of the Jehovah Witnesses, the New Age, and the Hare Krishnas, and the meditation yoga centers now that want to say Jesus was just a guru. It's not the Jesus of Puerto Rico. It is the Jesus who is the God of eternity, come down in the flesh, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, three days raised again, and said, I'll be back. If that Jesus is the one you believe in, you overcome the world. You overcome Satan, his influence, his power, his sin. You win. We are overcomers in his name.
Praise God that we get to overcome. It's not by your works. It's not by trying really, really hard to be a good person. The first step and the final step of your salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. I believe it's all about Him. I believe He died for me. I believe He changes me. I believe He wakes me up in the morning and gives me strength. I believe He'll give me what I need to be a father or mother. It's all about your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't let this world or the tragedies of your own personal life get you to doubt who He is. Don't doubt God. He's been faithful. He may not have done what you wanted to when you wanted Him to do it, but He's always kept His Word. And He's never forsaken you. Amen? The only way we can make it through this world is by our faith in Jesus Christ. Period. That excites me today. Amen? Does that get you excited? Do you believe? I love it just how John ends his letter like this. He says, guys, it's not complicated. If you love God, you're going to love his people. That's what he says. He says, this is how you act. If you love the father, you're going to love his child. Who's the child in this example? Because you see the father is a small F. It's not a capital F signifying God the father. It's talking about the father in the sense of an earthly father and child. So who, so who is the children here? The children are the example of the church. It, it's saying, hey, if, if I love David Carrasco, because I'm not talking about God as my example. I'm using David as an example. See, father and child, it's just talking about a regular father and child. If I love David Carrasco, I'll love his children. That's the right way to do it. Amen? And then, and then you apply it to the big father in heaven. Like, okay, well, if I love the God, the father in heaven, I love the people here. Do you guys get it now? So that's beautiful. Man, I'm commanded to love. And then look what he says. And keep his commands. And right there when we say keep his commands in America today, what do they think? Oh, the commands of God. They're so heavy. I'm walking around with the commands and I can't carry it anymore. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. I have to look at pornography. I have to drink. For God's sake, it's hard. Come on, paying my tithes and giving to the church. Ah! Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? We, we read the Bible and then we look at these commands like, oh my gosh, these are impossible. I could not tell a lie. Oh my gosh, how could I ever not tell a lie again? Oh Man, don't commit adultery. That's, man, I was going to do that tomorrow. Oh, God. Why are you doing this to me, God? Hello, somebody. It's not hard. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Don't cheat on your taxes. Keep your word. And if you mess up, repent and get right with God. Don't be a hypocrite. Because there's nothing worse than a sinner who tries to act like they're a saint. Just be one or the other. And if a saint sins, just repent. I, I just thank God for that. And I looked it up in the Greek, you know, the original writing of the New Testament. What does burdensome mean? And it means just like that word says, burden. It, it, he is saying here, it is not a heavy load that brings you down and drags you through life. Okay? If anybody here has ever done exercises and, and you go to the gym and you start lifting weights, what are those called? Those are like burdens, weights, burdens. You're throwing up the weight. It's hurting. After a while, you've got to, like, drop it. You're like, man, I'm done, you know. When you're like me and you're benching 300 pounds, ah, 
ah, you know, and I'm kidding. And then you're just like, oh, I can't do it. Okay, that's a burden. That's a weight. You don't go through life carrying the 300 pounds or whatever. That is not the commands of God. They're not these heavy, awkward, just terrible things that you just, I can't wait to get done with it. No, they are the joy of our soul. I'm happy that God teaches me not to tell lies. I'm I'm glad that God teaches you not to tell lies. Amen? I mean, I'm glad that you're not murdering somebody today. I'm glad that you're not committing adultery with my wife today. Come on. Let's just use common sense. The Bible says all of the laws of the commandments are summed up in loving God, loving people. Because if you love people, you wouldn't steal from them. You wouldn't do, you know, all these hideous things. So if everybody would just keep those two commands, love God, love people, everything else is done. Am I right here? It's not burdensome. Everyone needs to remember that. And if you feel that temptation, honestly, is hard for you, and you're going through a struggle, then that's when you need to come to God and say, I need your help. That's the privilege of saints. When we do feel burdened, when we do feel the temptation, is we have a God who says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and take my load upon you, and I will give you rest for your soul. He said, because I am gentle and kind in heart. Jesus said that. So when you feel like carrying temptation and things, you are so heavy and you can't do it, come to Jesus. He'll take the load. He'll bring you to the cross. He'll say, I died for you. I gave you strength. He'll receive it. He'll give you the Holy Spirit. He'll, he'll, he'll give you encouragement. He'll send you a pastor that loves you to preach to you. He'll send you brothers and sisters to come encourage you as well. Amen. We'll throw that computer out the door. If you can't get rid of pornography, we'll throw the computer out and help you, okay? If you're yelling a whole bunch, we'll, we'll, men will take you, the man that's treating his wife bad, the other men will take you around the back and we'll show you what, what you should be treated like, okay? So women, you come bring your men to us if they act like jerks, all right? You just praise God for good people that will help you. That's the bottom line. God will send help. Amen? Through His Spirit and through the church. Amen. Now look at verse 4. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. It's just defining who He is. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And I'm going to explain that in just a minute. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Everybody say the truth. Thank you. Verse 7. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept, man, we accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes, see here it comes back to you right now, anyone who believes in the Son has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe, God has made him out to be a liar. So anyone who doesn't believe God is a Liar, because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. Here it is. God has given us eternal life, and his life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Amen? That's a wonderful passage right here. Now let me explain to you maybe the part that is a little hard to understand. It says at the beginning, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. What that is talking about, water and blood, is the humanity of Jesus Christ, the fleshly nature he took on. 
In the time of John, there was a group of people called the Gnostics who did not believe that Jesus took on flesh. They were teaching the people that when Jesus was in heaven as a spirit, he came down to earth in the form of a man, but not the flesh of a man. Because they believed that all flesh was evil and that God would never have flesh. So they then said on the cross that he really did not die. He just had a, like a, an illusion of dying. It got kind of crazy at the part of the cross, but they still believed there was blood, but it wasn't his real blood. And so there was this weird way. It comes from Greek philosophy. If you're trying to figure out why would anybody even make up a story like that, you'd have to be in that day because these people already thought this about pagan things, and they tried to put this on Jesus. And so John is writing to them saying, no, 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 no. Jesus came through the water. And that is when a woman gives birth, the breaking of the water. See, there you go. And he came from the blood, and that means he had flesh, and blood was in his flesh. So he is dis- John is personally discouraging the teaching that said Jesus was not born like a man, uh, would be born of a woman with the breaking of water, and he's discouraging that Jesus did not have real blood in his flesh. He did. Amen? Then the three that testify is the Spirit of God, because the day he got baptized, the Spirit of God sat upon him as a dove. The Father spoke from heaven. And remember it says here, God's testimony is greater than man's. So John the Baptist, who baptized Jesus, said, Behold the Son of the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So that's man's testimony. But while he's baptizing them, what happens? The dove comes down, the, the Holy Spirit in form of a dove rests upon him. Then the voice of heaven, God the Father speaking, says, Behold my Son. And so that is the greater testimony and it's of the spirit that came down that day the water that his mother knew that she had a child mary and the blood that he shed on the cross so the spirit the water and the blood show that jesus christ became man to die for us that is the testimony the testimony is based upon john's eyewitness the testimony of men along with all the other disciples and number two the testimony of god himself God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all testified that this was what was going on in Jesus' life. He was the God-man, the sacrifice for the world, the mediator between mankind and his Father in heaven. Amen? Now, the important part about this is you have to believe it. There it is. This is what you've got to believe. You can't make up another Jesus and say this Jesus was a spirit, never had flesh, like the Gnostics. If you don't believe this, you don't have eternal life. You cannot say it's another way. You have to believe it this way. And the Bible says, verse 10, anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. So when you talk to people who say, I believe in Jesus, they should testify of the same thing. So Jehovah Witnesses take a little bit of Gnostic teaching, and they say when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't have flesh anymore. Well, they're not believing in the right Jesus. And the Mormons who say, well, I believe Jesus did all of this, but I believe Jesus is a spirit brother to Satan and that there's many gods. That's what, that's what honestly, the Jehovah Witnesses believe in, plurality of gods, and that Jesus and Satan, Lucifer, were brothers, okay? Well, that's not, that's not the God of the Bible. Islam teaches that Jesus was a prophet. He wasn't the God-man. So he didn't come. He, they don't believe that Jesus existed in all of eternity before he came down to earth. So that's not the right Jesus. The Jewish people of Jesus' day didn't even think he was a true prophet or Messiah, hence the reason why they crucified him. So if you take all of these major objections towards who Jesus is, some people may call him a good man, some people may call him a prophet, some may call him an angel like the Jehovah Witnesses, some may call him the spirit brother of uh, Satan like Mormons. All of those testimonies have a part truth of this testimony, but they don't have all of it, therefore no one has eternal life. 
that believes that. Are you with me? Was Jesus a good man? Yeah. Was Jesus a prophet? Yeah. Is he called the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament? Yes. Did he have a spirit brother saying? Absolutely not, so that one doesn't fit. But if you don't combine them all and if you don't define them right, you lose salvation, period. That's what the Bible says. Amen? Verse 11, and this is the testimony of God. God has given us eternal life, and the life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, the beautiful thing about this passage right here is that you can share the testimony with others. Amen? Okay. Now, I've got to take you through a journey. Okay, let's go with the flow. Let's do, try this today. Ah, yeah. Maybe do it together like this. Let's try it together. Yeah. So we got to start on this side. So, Davi, start on this side. It's a different day today. Yeah, there we go. Woo! Now, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. Bring it. <laughs> hey, man. People watching the webcast, what happened to them today? Pray for our pastor. Okay, so now here's, here's the deep stuff because I'm about ready to rock your world right here. This is probably something you've never heard, A, and B, you probably never thought you would hear from me, a pastor. There are things missing in your Bible. And I'm going to teach you some history. This is not Joe starting a cult and a weird religion now. I'm going to teach you what has already been here for many, many years that scholars have already known, but people have not shared in the pulpit. And I have been guilty of that. I've known it for many, many years, but I've never wanted to share it because it doesn't get laughs and giggles and shouts. But the more people today are going to universities, the more books are being published, the more antichrist literature that's coming out, I have to prepare the congregation and be honest with you. Okay, everybody say amen. Look down to the your bottom of your Bible. Those of you who have NIVs, and brother, you can scroll down to the bottom of this one up here as well. You're going to see little fine print. You now go up just a little bit more, please. You're now going to understand what this little fine print at the bottom of your Bible is. Everybody understand what I'm talking about? Everybody should have fine. If you have an NIV, you're going to have this. Now, if you look at where it says A6, what that is talking about is A is the reference to the place in the verse, and 6 means the word could be or spirit. So if you look at chapter 5, verse 6, it's, uh, um, or chapter 4, verse 6. This is how we recognize the Spirit. You see a little A there, correct? You guys are going to have to follow along now. This is where it's going to start being Bible study time. First John chapter 4, verse 6. We recognize the Spirit. Do you guys see a little A next to Spirit? Do you see that now? Okay. Now you go all the way down. And it says, or spirit, and it's lowercase. Do you understand that? Do you see it? Okay. What happens with Bible translations, you're going to have to put on your thinking cap here, is they were copied and copied and copied. There were mistakes in the copies. Everybody knows that who's a real scholar. We know this. That doesn't mean this is a mistake. And I'm going to explain to you. I believe this Bible 110%. I will die for this thing right now. I'm not changing any of those beliefs. Trust me, okay? I know the first time I heard this, I was scared too, okay? I'm going to explain it all to you. It's going to be okay. Pastor hasn't changed, okay? It's just I'm going to explain some things that you need to know. It's not the fun stuff on Sundays, but it's what we do at Metro Praise. We, we tell it as a T.I. is, amen? As it is. Okay, so here it is. When those manuscripts got copied, they go from different languages. The original language was Greek. A popular language of that day was also Latin. Another popular language was Coptic. It was Egyptian. 
Okay? Those were the main languages, Latin, Greek, and Coptic. And what happens is when John wrote his letter in Greek to Bob, Bob then copied it in Latin to the brothers that spoke Latin. Then somebody copied it in Latin to Coptic. Are you with me? Because of all that copying, now we have 24,000 manuscripts of our New Testament that are 1,000 years A.D. or to the time of Christ. That means over a 1,000-year period from about the writing of the New Testament, about 100 A.D. to 1,000 A.D., 900 years, we have 24,000 manuscripts over that. And that's about 28,000. The Bible has more manuscripts than any other book in the entire history of mankind. This is an awesome book. This is a miracle unto itself, okay? So we're not going to doubt that. But what happens when you take those 24,000 manuscripts and put up that link for me, please, my brother, what happens is, is you have what's called variance. You have differences between the translations. Now, anybody who speaks two different languages knows this. If I'm speaking in English and I'm telling my brother Nelson, translate that in Spanish, she's going to change the wording, right? Now, imagine if you wrote it in Spanish and then I said, now put it back in English. The English translation of the Spanish probably won't match word for word my original English. He'll probably put words in different orders. Are you getting me? Okay. Well, scroll all the way down. This is on Wikipedia. You can research all of this. It, most of it's all true. It's all good. Look at this right here. Go and copy on, uh, hit on that right there. This is an older manuscript, and it's going to give you an idea. This is what they look like right here. This is what manuscripts look like. Now, go back, my brother, and then go all the way down to the bottom. Okay, hit back. Okay, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to help you. Who am I talking to? Joselito? Okay, hit the green button. Okay, there you go. Now go all the way down because I'm going to have them look at the ancient one. Scroll. Help us, Jesus. I'm preaching and teaching. You're going to scroll a long way down. I'm going to show you the oldest one that we have. You're going to see the oldest piece of the Bible that we've ever found. Here it is. Okay, go all the way down. These are all the fragments. Okay, go up a little bit. Go up. Go right there where it says P52. Click on that. No, no, that's Dead Sea Scrolls. P52 is to the right. Uh, Brother Andrew, help him by taking his spot. Thank you. We love you, Jose. Let's give it up for Rosalito. Amen. I'm having Andrew, my pro here. I need you back. I've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Now go down. That piece right there is the oldest part of our New Testament. Now remember, there's two different books in your Bible. One is the Old Testament. One is the New Testament. Everybody say Old Testament and New Testament. Okay, so this is the oldest piece of the Bible we have right here. This is called P72. It's about the size of a credit card. It's very small, and it has writing on the front and the back, and it has the book of John. And this is Greek right here. This is an Omicron. This is a Lambda. This is a Delta. This is Epsilon. This is a Nu. And this is a weird um, a Lambda as well. And, and here's the writings right here. This is Greek, okay? So what happened was is these guys kept translating these Bibles, and they get passed all around. Well, in the 1500s, around the time of King James, did everybody heard of the King James Bible? Well, they want to take all 24,000, and hit back for me, please. They want to take the 24,000, and they want to put them together, okay? And uh, go down a little bit. Go to, uh, go up to the right, go to, um, all the way to the right, the Codex Arminitus Vulgate. No, 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 I'm sorry, go back. Go right down to the bottom right, bottom right, the last one, right there. This right here would be the example. This is like a cover of their Bible or a picture representing this. This is, go down, let me see if it shows the actual manuscript. Okay, it doesn't show it. But around the time of King James, the 1500s, they put together what we now know as the King James Bible. 
So what they had to do is take all of those translations and they had to begin to find out the exact wording. Because you've got to remember, one would say um, Paul went to Ephesus. Another one said at Ephesus Paul arrived. Paul journeyed to Ephesus. Are you understanding what I'm saying? It wasn't like Paul became a bird and flew to Ephesus. So the idea that people say, well, people changed the Bible. you know, No, it wasn't like Paul flew on the birds of a wing to Ephesus. It's the wording. Either Paul arrived at Ephesus. Paul went to Ephesus. On that day, Paul was in Ephesus. Paul journeyed to Ephesus. Are you understanding? And so when you're looking at the bottom of your Bible, and go back to the bottom of your Bible, the NIV came along, and go back to, on the website for me, please. The NIV came along about 500 years later, and we have more ancient manuscripts, and that's why there's variants. Now go down. You're on the wrong thing. I need you to go to the, uh, you're going to do something different than they're doing. Thank you. When you look down here at your Bible, you're now seeing, scroll back. What this is happening, right? Go to Kodak Sinaiticus, please. Right there. Yep, that one. Okay. When you look at the Kodak Sinaiticus, this is the oldest entire New Testament we have. This predates what manuscripts the King James people used. This is an entire New Testament. This is just a picture of it. Now, when you see how they wrote in the Greek, <clears throat> number one, there is no punctuation. That, brother, you, you, would, you would have to know when the sentence stopped because there is no punctuation here, okay? Now, Greek people could read it. Another thing is there was notes like this. These notes would say, hey, we found a word in another one, and we don't know if that word is this word. Is it Paul journeyed to Ephesus or Paul went to Ephesus? Are you with me? And so these little notes will say it could be journeyed or it could be went, okay? Now, if you look here at your Bible, that's all this is telling you. It's telling you that when the NIV made their New Testament, they used better information than when the King James made their New Testament. Okay, now here's the dealie. There are verses missing in your Bible because they were probably added in by scribes. And doesn't mean that there's a satanic attack against your Bible. It just means that people either tried to do the right thing and actually did the wrong thing, or it was unintentional. It was a mistake. Now I'm going to show you. First, you're like, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Now look at the bottom of your, your uh, thing, and it's going to say, verse 7 and 8 in the small print, late manuscripts of the Vulgate testify in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And they are three that testify on earth, not found in any Greek manuscript before the 16th century. Do you see it? Did I make it up? Okay, I didn't get before church and put that all in your Bibles to scare you, right? It's been there the whole entire time, by the way. Your pastor's just explaining you something. Now, I'll tell you where this comes in handy is when an atheist tells you your Bible has been corrupted. And you say, no, it's not. It's the Word of God. And then they have you read your own fine print, and you're like, oops, I guess it is. I don't know what to say. How many are glad I'm talking about it now? Because there are people who hate God that will use this information against us. Here is the point. When in the 16th century, the Latin Vulgate, remember Latin was a major language, is making the New Testament with Erasmus during the time of King James, they had these Latin manuscripts. That's all they had. These Latin manuscripts had some additions in them. 
There's three major additions, and I'm going to tell you what they are today. Three major additions. All the other things are just variants. Like I said, Paul went to Ephesus or Paul journeyed to Ephesus. You'll see them almost on the bottom of every single one of your page. I showed them to you in the Codex Sinaiticus. There are little notes on the side. If you look down at the bottom of your pages, you'll see, oh, it could be this word. Oh, it might be that word. You'll, you'll see them all down there at the bottom. Okay? But those are variants. Those are okay. No big deal. It could be this. It could be that. It's always going to be about the same thing. But there are three passages that probably are not inspired, nor were they written by the original authors, and came much later. Okay, are you with me? And the way we know that is going back to the Codex Sinaiticus. Hit it up there for me, please, brother. Going back to Wikipedia. Thank you. This right here is our most reliable. And we look at our most reliable, and it doesn't have 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. And so what happens is we have to ask ourselves, why does the Latin Vulgate of the 1600s have 1 John chapter 5, verse 7? But why doesn't the Codex Sinaiticus of 350 A.D. have 1 John chapter 5, verse 7? And now here's where the explanation comes in. Probably what happened is this is the worst case for the Bible. This, this text right here, out of all of them, because, and I'll just, let me just go with this, okay. This is probably the worst case. Somebody probably at this time wanted to prove the Trinity and put that in the Bible. See, that scares a lot of you. Somebody messed with our Bible. But here's the dealio. Here's the dealie. We caught it. And even though it's a true statement, we know it doesn't belong there. And that's why we put it down there. That's why the scholars say, yeah, the Trinity is true. Because if you look at it, it's a Trinitarian scripture. It says the Father and the Word and the Holy Spirit, these three are one. That is not in the original text. First John does not contain that in the ancient documents. Now, let me say this. When people say, well, then how do you know Jesus said anything then? I mean, it could all have been messed up. Let me tell you how you know Jesus said it. We have the Latin documents who are, you know, hundreds of years old, 500, 600 years old, and that's what the King James was made out of. And people are like, well, how do you know that's the Word of God? In the 20th century, in the 1900s, we found the Codex Sinaiticus, which was from 350 A.D., and it went perfectly along with the Bible that they had from around 1000 A.D. So there is no, like, secret conspiracy. Because when those guys pulled out a Codex Sinaiticus out of a cave, they had no chance to change it. That could have shown us if the Catholics changed anything, if the Roman Catholic Church. Are you guys with me? But when we pulled out these ancient documents and we slapped them next to the newer documents, we said, oh, there's three major differences. The first one is here. This one has no real good explanation in all of church history. Now I'm going to take you to the, uh, the second one. Everybody turn with me to Mark 16. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, get good. Amen. Just Say, I believe. Amen. You believe. All you got to do is believe in Jesus. Try to believe in your pastor right now. He's not hurting you. Now go to chapter uh, 16 of Mark, verse 9, and you're going to see something right there that you have probably never paid attention to. Uh-oh, somebody's there. You see it now? Look at that. Stop, my brother. Go up, please. Right up, chapter, verse 9. There you go. Look at that. Uh-oh. We got another one. 
the most reliable early manuscripts, what I just showed you, Codex Sinaiticus is one of our earliest, and Codex Vinicanus, you can get them on Wikipedia, really cool. Codex Sinaiticus, just go into manuscripts of the Bible on Wikipedia, and I'll help you send a link to me, or I mean send an email, I'll send you a link. But here it is. The most reliable early manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not have Mark 16, 9 through 20. So, originally, how did Mark end his gospel? Trembling and bewildered, the women went out, fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. It doesn't talk about speaking in tongues. It doesn't talk about healing the sick. It doesn't talk about all those things. What probably happened was this. This is a genuine insertion. And I'll get into a whole other subject with you guys in my 201 class about Many of the books of the prophets are not written by one prophet. They're the prophets of that day and the the scribes, and they're put together in the book of Jeremiah. They're put together in the book of Isaiah. Chances are that Isaiah wrote all of Isaiah. It's probably not so good. Probably people around the time of Isaiah, along with Isaiah, got categorized into his thing and put it all there. David didn't write all of the Psalms, okay? Is this scaring everybody now, okay? Okay, keep loving Jesus, okay? (laughs) Just put the bobo in the mouth. You know, I'm kidding. You're big people. You can take it. I know. Okay, here we go. So this was probably what happened because this is quoted immediately in church history within the second and third century. So this, the book of Mark was originally written probably around 60 A.D., 60 A.D., okay? But within about 100 years, 150 A.D., 200 A.D., church fathers are already quoting this passage. But it's not found in the original ones we have. So probably what happened was, Mark is the first one to write his gospel. He is the assistant to Peter. This is Peter's man. This is how Mark got his information. He is traveling in the Roman Empire being persecuted and killed. He does not get the chance to finish his story, and he just sends it out. And that's how he leaves it. Somebody else who knew Peter, knew Mark, knew what was supposed to be there because Peter had preached it orally, had told people orally, this is oral tradition, wrote it down, and then put it back in there. So I do consider this to be Scripture. I do consider it to be what we're supposed to know, but I cannot say that it is authentic to what Mark wrote when he wrote his whole gospel. Does everybody understand? Uh, it doesn't contradict anything like 1 John 5, 7, which I think was an addition with wrong motives. I think it was trying to do something that it shouldn't have done to try to deceive people. I do think that that's our one case when the Bible was tampered with in a bad way, but we found it out, and as early as the 1700s, they found it out. Once the Bible was taken out of the Roman Catholic hands, we found it out, okay? But right around this time, we don't want to blame it all on the Roman Catholic, but right around this time, they figured it out that that wasn't in there, so it's really early. But this thing about Mark is a little bit more trickier because it's found right at the beginning of church history. You see, nobody mentions the first John chapter 5, verse 7, until like, you know, like I said, like 1,000 A.D., and then people are talking about it. So that's when they say it probably got inserted in there. But this is immediately referenced. Like within 100 years, people are talking about this, because you've got to understand, the church fathers of the first 500 years of Christianity quote the New Testament 36,000 times. Think about that. That's how awesome these guys were. I did a whole study on that. So this is... Bible to us, but not inspired from Mark or written by Mark. So the question is, is it still inspired? 
I can accept it as being inspired. You say, why? Because of the examples I gave you before. David didn't write all the Psalms. You read that Psalms were put in there, that the prophets had scribes and people that worked with them. And also that uh, we don't know the writer of the book of Hebrews, but we know what it says is right for us to have. And so since the church fathers, which they call the patristic witness, patristic means father, because of the fathers of the church quoted this so much, I do think it's scripture for us, and I would still even consider it divinely inspired. And that might be a little bit too much for you guys, but at least take it as the truth, okay? I wouldn't reject it altogether, amen? Now let's go to John chapter 8 for the, the hardest one. The little tear is going to come down some deep those faces right now. Because this is the story everybody likes. And it's kind of funny because this is the one that God haters and people who don't like the Lord always throw back in our face. Don't judge me because he without sin should throw the what? The first stone. You can't throw stones at me. Don't judge me. How about I tell you this right now? What would the atheist do if I look at it? That ain't even in the Bible. They look at me crazy like, well, I thought that was your Bible. No, because that's probably another one right here. Look at John chapter 8, verse 1. Uh-oh, what do we see right there? The earliest manuscripts and many ancient witnesses do not have John seven fifty-three through 8, 11. The story of the adulterous woman is not found in the go up just a little bit, my brother. This, okay, thank you. The story of the adulterous woman is not found. Now, out of all the ones we've studied, this one is probably the best. Because what probably happened was this got lost in somebody's translation. Or somebody's manuscript, rather. When somebody was translating the scriptures and they put it into Greek and they were passing it on, many times scribes would see words that would be the same, like if it said, and Jesus went to the store. And then later down here it says, and Gary went to the store. If you were copying word for word, you would see the last word store here, and then you would copy store, and then you would look back and you would see store down here, and you would skip the passage in the middle. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Think of it again. If I said John went to the store, then it had all of these information, and then Bob went to the store. If I just copied word for word, Jesus went to the store, and I put Jesus went to the store. Now I look back at the thing. It would say, and Gary went to the store. I would see store and store. You get what I'm saying? And all of that middle part would probably be forgotten. Those are just mistakes. We, we catch them all the time. It's what scribes say they weren't perfect, okay? So the bottom line is, is with this passage right here, probably it got lost and somebody had to put it in somewhere along the line. So it's not in the earliest. To go all the, well, you don't have it up here, but you have it in your Bible. It says the ancient manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have this. That's probably what happened. If that is not what happened, that it got lost and got inserted back in, then what probably happened was as oral tradition went on, people told stories about Jesus, and this was a story that somebody told about Jesus, but it wasn't in any of the Gospels. And it was like a manuscript, you know, just like a page. Well, this, you know, Jesus met this woman and this and that, and that's all he did. And then somebody said, hmm, where should I put this? I'll put it in John. I'll put it in chapter 8. Seriously. And they did that. If that's the shadiness of how they did it, the bottom line is it was still caught. So for number one, all of this was said that your Bible is reliable. 
And that when anything comes up that doesn't belong in there, even though it's cute and like, oh, Dito, the woman caught in adultery, even when it's like that or true as the Trinity, the true Bible scholars, they do that to protect you, to say, hey, I mean, that's a great story. It can bless you. You know, preachers can talk about it, but it probably wasn't inspired or at least it wasn't in John's original writings. So number one, it protects you. And then number two, it, it shows you that the Bible's been preserved. And then number two, it shows you that you can trust what God has done through his word because his word will live on. So it's like, hey, there's some variants. There's some things we don't always know. But what we do know is that 99.99% of this thing is ex- in your language is exactly what you're supposed to have. And the other 0.001% is in those 24,000 manuscripts, and that's why scholars and Bible colleges, they keep researching and researching, and they keep putting out new translations into your language, and you know, my language, English, so that we can better understand the Word. Amen. Does everybody understand textual criticism? Now let's give a little hand clap. I'm just in a goofy mood. That was weird. Ask all of your questions to Ish. Amen? After service, he'll be available. All right. Now moving on to verse 13. That's why I had to stop and teach you all that because you might say, well, why is that not in my Bible? Now you know from this point on. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whenever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of Him. Amen. Here is the promise. If you believe in the Son of God, you can be confident you have eternal life. There are times that I've doubted. There's times that I've been afraid of, you know, have I done the right thing? Or is this the truth? I mean, we've all doubted people. We've all had, you know, insecurities. But the confidence that I have is, you know what? I may doubt myself. I may doubt some of these things every now and then. When I learned about manuscripts, it might have threw me off, whatever. But you know what? I believe Jesus is the Christ. I really haven't doubted that much in life. I really haven't. I've doubted a lot of things. I've lacked some things like, you know, you know, maybe am I doing things right or maybe is all this right or different things, you know. But, but when I can just think about the cross and I go back to that every time I hear it, I believe it. Some people may say, well, Joe, you're naive. You're, you're kind of dumb. I don't think so. I, I think it's the greatest story to ever be told to mankind, even if it was a lie. It's the greatest story. And then I don't believe it's a lie because Jesus Christ changed the world. Before you and I were ever born, people were living and dying for him. Great men have been convinced of him. He's changed the world more than any other person without any violence. And every time people do violent things in his name, people rebel against those people. They say, you're not representing him right. And that's why we've had the Protestant Revolution, because we didn't believe in the holy wars and all of that. And that's why there's a new church started right here today. It's because I believe that there's the true gospel, and it needs to be preached, and it's real, and it's touched my heart. And that's why you're here today. And you've heard other stories. Yeah, you've heard Batman. You've you've heard, you know, Greek mythology in class, in literary class. But there's something different about the name of Jesus. Am I right? There's something different when you hear the story. It it pricks your heart. It pricks who you are, the feeling you have of love for your husband, your daughter, the greatest love you have in life. You'll have that love when you hear his message. You'll have that feeling when you pray to him. How many are with me? I mean, there's something about this, and we know what it is. It is true. It is eternal life. Amen? 
And we now know that whatever we ask of him, and here's the key, according to his will, he hears us. Now, how many of us wish that Lexuses and brand new houses were according to his will? Amen? Oh, I just wish that that was in his will for me. But it's not. And it's not always in his will to give us the American dream, people. I want to encourage you in your prayer life. Don't make it the wish list for Santa. Why don't you ask God before you pray, Lord, what should I pray for? Lord, what do you want me to have? God, do you want me to live in this apartment and have strength to endure all my children in a two-bedroom apartment? Then, amen, praise God. Somebody knows what it's about. Then, Lord, give me the grace to live here. I mean, I really want to tell you guys, I want to knock that home today because I've tried to buy a house in Chicago, and I know what it's like to, you know, to, to suffer financially. Listen to me. We do not have to buy into this prosperity. If you're not rich, you're not blessed garbage coming from the church. Amen? Those preachers that are preaching that are lying. It is not the truth. All of church history has taught us that God's blessings are not just dollars and cents. I would rather you live in that two-bedroom, Sister Kathy, and love your children as you do than have the mansions that we went and visited. I couldn't buy them, but, you know, we go out to the suburbs, you see them, and have an unhappy home. Praise God. Ask God, God, what am I supposed to do? And God does tell me things like, God, uh, Joe, you are going to live in Humble Park where your car gets broken into two times and you're scared to go to bed at night because you hear gunshots. But you can ask me for strength and I'll give it to you. Amen. And it's like, thank you, Jesus. He answers prayer. That when the gunshots go off, I can hold my baby and walk her into the room and get on the floor and say, God is in this place. And I am for real, for real. <laughs> yes. And, and, and when we don't have the things that we like, we can still thank Him for what we do have, the health and the, the friends and the family. I mean, there are people. I mean, we are so selfish sometimes as Americans. There were people in history. I mean, imagine if you lived like in 1300s, you know. There were people in human history that all they knew was a farm in a dirt hut. I mean, and they had good times. I mean, it's not like they cried every day. I'm in a dirt hut. This is terrible. I don't have air conditioning. No, they love life. You know, I'm serious. I was hearing this before, like on the uh, for Christmas. You used to be able to put fruit in your in your children's little uh, sake, and they would be happy because you know fruit was a privilege. You know, people found things to be grateful for and happy all throughout human history, and especially for all my friends here, where you're first or second generation from a different country that doesn't have all the American doodads. I mean, did you have good times there? Did you, did you get together with your family? Could you enjoy a meal? Could you take a walk with your wife, your father? I mean, was life more, you know, more than just owning a 38-inch flat-screen TV, watching the Super Bowl, getting obese, you know? Come on. So when we're in the mode of prayer, the point being, when we're in the mode of prayer, it's not my will be done, but your will be done. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You see, what comes first? It's his will. Then it's my bread. It's his kingdom. Then it's my little kingdom in my house. Amen? And if your little kingdom can have a 65-inch flat-screen TV, hallelujah, we're coming over tonight. Amen. If your little kingdom can have the Lexus or whatever beautiful thing you have, glory to God. But don't, 
get down if you don't have it. And don't be jealous of those who do. Amen? Let's ask the real things according to His will. Let's ask for safety. Let's ask for peace. Oh, come on. Let's ask for joy. Let's ask for family and unity and love. Glory to God. You'll get answers to prayer. Amen? Slap your neighbor high five and say, He hears you. Amen. Just pray according to His will. He hears you. Oh, come on, somebody. Verse 16. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those sin who does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. Now, this can be a little confusing because it says about sin and death about 20 times. Here's how, it, here's how it makes sense. Here it is very simply. In the time of John, there was the church and the government, or what we know the church and the state, and they were one. The Jewish people could inflict death penalties on the people who did not obey church law. Okay, are you with me? That's how Jesus got crucified. The Jewish people said he broke our laws. Now you kill him, you know, Caesar. You kill him. Okay, Pilate rather. And, and Pilate was like, dude, that's between you guys. And the reason why they couldn't inflict the death penalty is because at that time, Rome had took away that power from them. But they still could do everything they could to manipulate the Romans to then kill on their behalf. Okay? What is happening here is first at the end, it makes sure to summarize what he just said. All sin is wrongdoing. So there is not different categories of sin. But what he is saying is, you should pray that the person who has sinned a sin not unto the death penalty to be delivered and to live a successful life. That's what he's saying in that context. So if you see somebody, you know, they're dealing with an anger issue, pornography, you know, lust, you know, pray for them that they'll be all right, that they'll stop sinning and they'll live right. But if you've seen somebody commit a sin unto death, and this is the question of whether it's the Jewish law or the Roman law. I think he's talking about the Roman law that inflicted the death penalty at that time. He's saying, but look, if your friend is in the pinta because he has, you know, he's raped and murdered people, okay, pray that he gets saved, but the sin to the government will not be forgiven. He'll pay his own penalty. That helps you clarify it. Amen? It is not saying that... Uh, I should not pray for people who commit certain types of sin because that's where it can be confusing because it says right here, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. Now, wouldn't that sound contradictory? If we didn't explain it, you'd be like, what do you mean I'm not supposed to pray about that? How do I deal with sin if I don't pray about that? Well, this is where we are 2,000 years separated from John, and he's not sitting next to us. Hey, what did you mean about that? History shows us this is probably what he meant because he summarizes right at the end, all wrongdoing is sin. Okay, so there is no levels of sin. That's why we disagree with, like, you know, the Catholic system of sin, venial and penial sins, I guess is what they're called. Anybody know them differently than that? Okay, thank you. Um, He's saying, no, they're all sins. They're not different grades of it. And there is sin that does not lead to death. That sin that does not lead to death would be contradicting the scripture in Romans where it says the wages of sin is death if it was not talking about a death penalty. Read it like this. It says there is a sin that does not lead to the death penalty. Do you understand? Because all sin brings death. Adam and Eve committed one sin and what happened? Death came. 
Death is the result of every sin. So what he's saying here is probably leaving out a few, and it's not a variance, not been forgotten, okay? I mean, he wrote this knowing probably that that's what they were dealing with. There's a specific group of people he's writing to, and probably what happens in most of the letters that we're seeing here is these letters are a response to their first letters. So probably somebody's writing John going, hey, dude, um, I've been reading the Bible, and there's these guys around here, the Gnostics, saying that Jesus didn't have flesh. Is that true? And also, I'm kind of wondering because uh, I have friends over here that keep drinking and going to clubs and baka, 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 and they're telling me that they're Christians. Are they really Christians? You understand what I'm saying? And so he sends that to them, and, and, and one of the questions they probably asked was, hey, we got people in the Pinta that are repenting. Uh, am I saying it right, the Pinta? Jail? Okay. And, and they're people in jail, and they're repenting now. Should we try to get them out of jail because they're not going to uh, commit any more crimes? And, and what, what he's answering, he answered all the rest, obviously, in the letter that I, I gave you. But right here now he's answering. He's saying, hey, dude, if those guys committed those sins and they got the death penalty, then they need to die. This type, but it's right. Hallelujah. Don't commit those type of sins. Amen? All right. Got a little quiet. I said, don't commit those type of sins. Amen? Because we can't pray for you. That's it. I mean, it says right there, am I telling the truth, Elder Ish? Hallelujah. Verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Thank you for reminding us of that again, John. Amen. And the one who has been born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are the children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Hallelujah. Nobody can say it better than that. Amen. Dear children, keep yourselves away from idols. Let's all stand up together. In closing, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that you're not to continue in sin? Do you believe that one day you will see eternal life, not as a thing, but as a person? Jesus Christ, do you believe you'll see him? Then these are the encouraging words to you at the final closing of his letters. I'm concluding with you. Don't continue in sin. Live holy. Continue to believe in Jesus, even through tough times, and share that message. And lastly, keep yourself from idols. I always wonder just why John just threw that in right at the beginning, you know? And then I kind of just like thought about it, you know? It's kind of like he wrote this whole letter. And if you look at his letter, he never individually names sin. Paul loved to name sin. Paul names homosexuality as a sin. Paul names pornography as this like paul says if you do these things you're not going to heaven and he like names the list how many know i'm talking about galatians 5 these are the flesh rachel would you come please john never mentions one thing he just keeps saying good evil good evil child of god child of the devil child of god child of the devil don't do evil you go to hell bad thing (sighs) fire go to heaven (sighs) you know that's it and i think about it like we just spent the whole day together and then, like, on my way out, I'm like, and hey, dude, don't forget to bring the Cheetos to my house tonight. Let's say we've been in church all day, and I'm just leaving to, like, my shout that last thing. He's like, don't forget the Cheetos. You know what I'm saying? He's walking away. He's like, keep away from idols. He's like, I want you to remember that. 
Because I just told you all this, and in case you don't get it, my last words is like he's partying, and I see him just kind of shouting that back to him. Hey, stay away from Super Bowl things that take you from God. Stay away from your car and your house and your job if it takes you from God. Because all of this means nothing if you get an idol in your heart. Don't let anything take the place of God. You know, it's like shouting back to your boys. Like, hey, I'll see you tonight. Don't forget the video game. You know, you're coming over. And it's like he's shouting back. He's like, hey, don't forget. It's always about God. No idols, man. Don't forget. It's always about Him. Because idols can creep in so easily into our life. And if we believe in Jesus, we should be different. The thing to me that spoke to me through doing this whole study of 1 John is that right smack dab in the middle, he says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called His children. That, to me, blessed me through this study. I don't know what's blessed you. Hopefully you can share it with somebody today and just, you know, encourage each other. But John, the man who knew Jesus better than anybody else, wanted you to take a test today. So just in your own mind, standing right where you are, I want you to take a test. It's called the liar test. You're a liar if you tell lies. Amen. John loved his Jesus so much, he didn't want anybody to be a liar and say they knew him when they really didn't. You guys know that feeling. You know what I'm talking about. You would not want anybody to lie about you. You wouldn't want anybody to lie about your best friend. Jesus was so awesome in John's life that John gave us the liar test. It's occurred five times throughout this letter. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. First John 1 John 1.10 Number one, have you admitted that you are a sinner and you break the laws of God? If you do not admit that, you are a liar. Number two, the lie test. First John 2.4 The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Do you say you know him and not keep his commands? If you do, a liar. Number three, 1 John 2, verse 22. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. Do you believe in a different Jesus other than the Jesus of the Bible? Do you deny the Jesus of human history who died on the cross, born of the flesh, resurrected in the flesh on the third day, coming to judge the world? the spotless Lamb of God. If you believe in another Jesus, you are a liar. Number four, 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Do you have hatred in your heart towards men on this planet? Do you have hatred in your heart towards anybody on this planet, represented as God's creation. If you say you love God and you hate, you are a liar. You cannot let love and hate abide in your heart. You have to love mankind, specifically the body of Christ. If you're bitter towards the body of Christ, if you are bitter towards Christians, towards pastors, towards people that have hurt you in the past, you are a liar. And God asks you to repent. In verse or number five of the liar test, 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. 
Anyone who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. Do you believe everything I just told you? If you're sitting back going, man, that test was unfair. That's a dumb test. Why are you even doing it? Then you're a liar. Because this test is a test to preserve you and to bring you to your heavenly Father. If you ever find yourself faltering in these, oh, I know him, but I'm getting tempted. I feel like doing the wrong thing. Stop yourself. Repent. If you ever find yourself entertaining a a false gospel, a message that's not true about Jesus, stop. If you ever find yourself getting bitter, somebody hurts you. Oh, and you just got all the right in the world to be angry because you're right, you're right, you're right, and they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong. Watch yourself. Because the man who talked more about love, who talked more about the Father, gave us a lie detector test so that we could be true and go to heaven. The good thing is that he gave us the solution. He says, In 1 John chapter 2, just turn there with me or put it on the screen, uh, Andrew, for them, please. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. And I do believe there's people here living right, by the way. I'm not a preacher who thinks everybody's always wrong. I think there are people here that truly love God. I'm just challenging everybody. I appreciate it. You guys let me preach this way. Because we would rather come off a little bit strong than to let people get out of here without hearing Jesus and get saved. You know what I'm saying? So those of you who are saying, dude, I'm not a liar. Yeah, I'm not calling you a liar. If you're living right, you're not a liar. Amen? But here it is. If you're not living right, chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for also the sins of the whole world. Let's pray. Father God, we took the lie detector test today. If we did not pass it, Lord, I pray that people today, those that did, would just come and repent. Oh, you are love, God. You love us so much. You gave us eternal life. You gave us your son. And now today, we believe. We believe. As Rachel just begins to sing, please don't be in a hurry. Can we just pray for a few minutes today? As she begins to sing, if you want to just come to the front, those that just want to get it right in your heart today, you you just want to repent. We're going to take communion, but I want to give you a chance just to come.